Hello, and welcome to your Better Late Than Never Memorial Day edition of Eggs. Thank you, thank you to our armed service persons. We couldn't do it without you. How you like them? The lady with the paper hat asked me as she poured a little more coffee into my cup. As that you say I said as a sad smile spread across her face and I looked up. Said I'd take you to be a soft-boiled man. I don't understand. I reluctantly confessed. Listen, son, she said I don't mean to upset you, but you've got to know I'm gonna have to break a couple of things to make your breakfast. Just glad to see the blue morning and the yellow egg at the break of day. But you gotta break them before you make them. That's what they say. But you gotta break them before you make them That's what they say You gotta break them before you make them That's what they say Okay, great. All right, hello, and welcome to How Do You Like Your Eggs. My name's Asher Griffith, and Jake and Anna couldn't join us today because they disguised themselves as hot dogs to get out of working on this project with me. I don't believe, however, that they understood the danger of disguising oneself as a hot dog on Memorial Day weekend. I hope, dear listener, you understand the gravity of that seemingly lighthearted statement. But Sierra Torres and Grace Treffinger from Cattail Cooks could. Um, you're also alumni of how do you like your eggs welcome back um thank you yeah but now we're under uh under new circumstances so i wanted to talk with you about how you're doing during during the the apocalypse (laughs) yeah uh well (laughs) we've kept busy um it's a bit yeah i don't it's hard to find the words to describe what's going on it's been going on for months now and we're just kind of like in this new this new reality and we have shifted our efforts a lot and, and we'll get into that more. But um, yeah, I don't know. Hanging in there. Well, We've been uh, spending a lot of time hanging out, playing cards for sure. That's good. We're not doing food relief um, and spending a lot more time kayaking, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like for the most part, our lives definitely have changed a lot, but we're pretty, we're pretty much as, as busy as we were before COVID with just like a shift in focus on what we're doing. Right. Yeah, I under, I understand that. Um, I have said a few times before already that like, see, I'm, I'm at my mom's house right now, which is in um, rural Arkansas. Oh my goodness! Okay. And, um, it's I mean it's yeah it's nice out here, and the thing is, being as removed as we are, um, except for when we go to the store or whatever, it seems very much like you know business as usual. It's like summer at my mom's house, which is pretty common, except it never ends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which has be... its, which has its perks, but also its um uh cons. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so I guess just very briefly remind us of what it is that Cattail Cooks normally does. You're a you're a um conscientious catering company of sorts. Yeah, we um before all this, we had a few different. We've done some like food storytelling, really like catering gigs for some community events, like for um, Marguerite Green's campaign mm-hmm. for Louisiana Department of, um, for the Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry. 
Correct. Also, she was our first. She was How Do You Like Your Eggs first official political endorsement, I think. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> if That's I remember great. correctly from last time. I love it. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, we also already gave her a shout out. But we, let's see. And so for this fall, for the spring, we had events with, we were going to be doing kind of like an interactive food storytelling um, and cooking project at Fossil Free Fest that was also, that was canceled, of course. Mm. And um, we had a like cooking and gardening curriculum we were developing for the Country Day Creative Arts Camp, working with kids and developing that kind of, just developing out our curriculum and, and kind of programs out. It's all, yeah, we have, Sarah, what else do we have? I'm like. Yeah, we just had like a <laughs> bunch of gigs for April and May. And I had just, me and Grace both had full-time jobs like with Cattail Cooks. Um, mm-hmm. I had just quit my job a week before COVID started. Um, not really knowing, like not knowing obviously that COVID was coming in this way. So <clears throat> like I was going to be relying on those uh, gigs, but yeah, we've like shifted our focus. So where we're not um, cooking as much right now, we're mostly delivering um, fresh produce um, and dry goods to people who have been affected by COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a couple of, cater- we did one like pop-up brunch um, at the farmer's market, which was cool recently. But yeah, before COVID, we were kind of like a catering gig storytelling project and now like we're still doing that kind of work but we're shifting our focus um to working with like our community members um and our farmers to make sure that people have access to food during covid very good you were working at the um at the louisiana children's museum right before covid then is yeah. that right yeah, I was working yeah. at the the museum and I left just so like I felt like there was a lot of opportunity with Cattail Cooks and um yeah, there's just like a lot of cool things going on and there was like a high demand for it too. We were having like a lot of requests and I just knew that like I really wanted to spend more time organizing with local farmers and stuff. So I thought it was best to just like focus my efforts on that. Um, when having an income right now, it would definitely be nice um, and working from home like a lot of people are doing. But I think that like if I was still working for the museum, I definitely wouldn't be able to like um, operate the capacity I am now with the food relief. So and it definitely take has become a full-time job for sure. Wow, that's incredible. Nice work. Yeah. And Grace will be finishing her jobs uh, at the end of the month, so we get to hang out and figure out how we're going to make money this summer. <laughs> and you also, live together, yeah, you like, work together, struggle yeah. together. Mm. <laughs> it's also Grace's birthday on Tuesday, so we're going to celebrate. Oh, nice. Happy birthday. Thank you. <clears throat> You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, real quick before we move on, I guess, what is, uh, what, what is food storytelling? Good question. We are kind of like also figuring out what that means. I get like what it started as was that we wanted Cattail Cooks to not just not be like a catering company solely to just like make nice food for people who could afford to buy like quality food, but to highlight all of the farmers and fishers and crabbers and ranchers and all these people who are working their asses off like in Louisiana, Mississippi and Alabama to provide food to people and also just to like steward the land and to continue a lot of the traditions that exist in the Gulf Coast that are really unique to us here. And so we were just like, whenever we do catering gigs or community food events or anything that we cook for, we talk about the farmers and we like share about like why we support them and and why it's important that this is not just some like kind of like bougie thing at farmers markets, but that we should all be much more connected to our food. And obviously there are reasons why that's not possible right now. And there's a lot of inequities that that we acknowledge and also like try to try to figure out how we can structurally address, uh, address these, you know, these systemic issues around access to local food and just like farmers being able to farm because that's, there's so much, 
with access to land being inequitable and difficult. You know, like, so we just kind of try to bring in a lot of these pieces um, to our food while also just mm-hmm. like, and, and people are much more receptive to talking about these bigger, like kind of heavier topics when they're sitting around eating like a delicious bowl of gumbo, you know, like it just kind of yeah. makes it easier and, um, and more, more accessible. Yeah. And just to add on to that, like when we prepared our meals or were able to do like these cooking events, we also had the opportunity to speak to the people who are eating the food. And so I feel like that rarely happens within food service is like, you know, you order your food from a waiter and then you get your food and you eat it and you leave. It's like, we had the opportunity to tell, like sometimes they were rich people. Sometimes they were just like normal people, like who we were cooking for just this like the story about where our food has come from and like what we hope to do with it and how people can be a part of that too that this doesn't have to be some like bougie food movement this can be something that we can all participate in and shift like our eating habits to support more um, local individuals and yeah we just got to talk to people about like the state of Louisiana with climate change and land loss and how food's a part of that and just like food has become like an easy um, medium for people to connect to problems that seem like very daunting and um, hard to confront. So I think it just kind of naturally has blended into a storytelling project. And also just like people would also bring their own stories to the table too, which is something that like, I think food innately has the ability to do is like, it brings back memories. It like makes us feel something. And so like, I want to eat food that makes me feel some some kind of way. Like I want to eat food that like I can share with other people and they have their own stories and ideas about it. We were teaching cooking classes for a long time that focused on different eco regions of Louisiana. And so like one week we'd focus on seafood and talk about like, you know, what was happening with the spillway and our waterways and people would bring all these amazing stories about where they used to grow up, like getting their shrimp or catching their like seafood and stuff. And so like that just kind of became a natural part of the class when we necessarily, we didn't like instruct everyone to tell us a story of, you know what I mean? It just, it just, it just happens. Um, so I yeah, think that's where that's the good. story storytelling part comes in. It's just like connecting people to themselves, to their history, to land, to the farmers and to the food or the food does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so food storytelling is, is the tale of farm to table. And then on the other end, it's the relationships that people have with their dishes and the ingredients whether they're farmers or people who are eating. And that's like not, it's not a new concept, you know, like that's how it's been forever. It's just like, we're really, our food, our industrialized food system has kind of taken that away from us. And so we've lost that in our society or not everywhere, but definitely in like the mainstream. And so, yeah, it's like that, those memories aren't very far from people and like our current generations. It's just about like kind of making people realize that they're there. Um, Like I love just asking people like, what are your favorite things that you used to eat growing up and like you'll be really surprised by the really cool stories that come out even when people like aren't necessarily cooks at their own home like in their adulthood or whatever but so you haven't been able you haven't been able to do much of the food food storytelling post covid though huh well i would say like now we're so basically right when covid started we saw a huge um a huge gap in like access. So a lot of our farmers lost their markets and like lost their um, restaurants that they sold to. And so they had like this abundance of produce. And then a lot of people in the community, like, like obviously like we were either like waiting for federal assistance or didn't qualify or just didn't have access to food. And so like we just started like helping, you know, using donated money that we had gotten from friends and family and community members to buy produce and and give that to people who needed it. And so, like, 
I feel like the storytelling is like more present than ever um, because like we get, are getting to interact. We serve currently 130 families and we're getting to interact with those families a lot, like via email and stuff. And so they like sometimes send us whole stories about their lives and their like situations or like I had a friend, one of my friends' families gets the box and um, we put, we buy, you know, whatever is like fresh and in season. And so like we were buying Swiss chard a lot and putting them in the boxes, which is like kind of a vegetable that a lot of people don't, or green that a lot of people don't necessarily I, I don't know, I would imagine cook in their homes and mm-hmm. like, you know, that's always a thought like, oh, is this a good produce to buy? Like, or should we buy that produce? Like, what are people going to actually use or what's going to be helpful for families? Um, and that, that was one of those questionable ones. And she told me that when um, when she, her family got the box, she was like, oh, mom, should I Google a recipe on how to cook this? And the, the mom was like, oh, my goodness, this is this like this vegetable or this green that I haven't seen since I was a kid. And, um, you know, they're not from the United States. So like, I don't know, it was just like, and then they, they were able to cook this beautiful meal together and like share these memories and of their like home and stuff. So I don't know. I feel like the storytelling part is like really, really present. Um, and, um, we also get to tell people about, we, we're constant communication with our farmers. Like I, we see them every week and we're constantly talking to them about like, how is their community affected by this? How is their business affected by this? And like, how is, the season going so we get to kind of communicate that to like the public through you know like things like this or just through like um posts on facebook um and also just to like the people receiving the boxes so i i feel like the storytelling i feel very connected to the storytelling part right now even though we're not necessarily cooking meals for people i think like we're reaching more people through the work we're doing right now yeah uh that's with shard stories of that's a really good one (laughs) yeah you know what else is a pretty good one dear listener your grandmother's swiss shard recipe you should go put on your mask and ask her for it while you're at it wash your hands thoroughly and borrow a dollar from her that you could take over to patreon.com slash cicada radio and use it as your first month subscription to our super exclusive club that's right for as little as a dusty crumpled dollar that smells of gin peppermints and Werther's mothballs you too can become a cicada kateer We'll get back to the cattails in just a minute, but first, listen up to this. What makes a hit a hit? How does a Bruce Willis cover of a staple singer song outperform the original? And is Groove really in the heart? Or is it somewhere else? On American 100, we're going to dive into the heart of the Billboard Hot 100 completely at random and try to get to the bottom of what makes us love, hate, or just get addicted to pop songs. Featuring guest musicians and comedians, it's funny, it's informative, and just like the Hot 100 itself, a little bit weird. Hosted by me, Micah McKee, and presented by Cicada Radio, American 100 airs anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. All right, so your box then, uh, I guess your, your work primarily involves collecting food from farmers since the markets aren't operating as much, and you're delivering them to families. In a box. Yeah. So basically, it's it changed a lot since we started about nine weeks ago. When we first started, a lot of the a lot of the farmers markets were not operating. Everything was just kind of in this frozen state, and all of these farmers. There was even like talk of some farmers having to close their. Um, yeah, not being sure if they would make it to next season, which is a little like which is very concerning, obviously for so many reasons, and also just because of how our local food system is already lacking in enough local farmers, small scale or mid sized farmers, and and so we were just concerned about that and mobilized to get donations to buy that produce, and then also to um, 
and to get it to families who didn't have access to food right now and, and were at home because they had were immunocompromised or whatever the reasons were. And now, um, like a month into that, basically a lot of things changed where suddenly all these farmers were actually finding ways to sell – like. People were starting CSAs and different small urban farms were starting CSAs, community supported agriculture, which is like, you know, boxes that people were buying in advance. And, and so they were finding new ways to get their produce out. And we were actually at a place where we weren't able to get basically it was like almost became a more competitive market. And we were like, well, that's not really, you know, we're not trying to compete because like what we're doing isn't something that's going to be there for um who knows how long we'll be doing this. So we're not trying to just like buy out all this produce. And then like once this stops, there's like a gap and then these farmers are screwed and, and we need to like figure out a new place to, for them to sell their produce. So we were like, okay, what is, we're still thinking about it all the time. Like, what does this look like once things settle down or whatever that means? And, and, um, but basically, yeah, right now we're still able to find farmers a lot. We buy a lot from Indian Springs Farmers Cooperative in Mississippi because they grow on a, on a little bit of a larger scale and have tons of like sweet potatoes and cabbage and, you know, onions. And, um, and so we still are finding farmers to buy from, but we're definitely like, it's, it's, it's shown us how we just don't have enough farmers. Like we just need a stronger local food system if we want to have foods, like some more control over our local food system if and when kind of these distribution and supply chains break down like we've already seen mm -hmm. to a to a degree obviously not yeah so Completely, it's, it's yeah. also kind of interesting too because i think like what everybody's reading online and on tv and like listening to on tv right now is that like you know these hog factories are gonna have to like euthanize all their pigs because there's not enough you know which is all our all, all real parts of the food system and then their perception is like that's also what's happening in their community but in reality like a lot of the farmers are have actually been like forming stronger networks uh, to, to consumers and like getting food to them i mean this is like in the local smaller scale um like economy not necessarily in the big industrial economy but like the fact that those chains are breaking only speaks to the fact that we need to build a really strong local food system um, and find ways for consumers also to support this once um, once COVID, like, quote-unquote, is over. I don't even know what that means. But, yeah. like, a lot of our farmers are just really nervous that, you know, once the it becomes safer to go to grocery stores, that people won't spend as much time or money, like, sourcing locally. I mean, it is a lot a, definitely a little bit more work to go out of your way to like f find farmers you can't just go to the go grocery store like it's not as convenient as that but I mean I think it's really re it's rewarding for us to be able to do that also just like taste better but yeah I mean I don't I can go on forever about why it's important to support mm -hmm. local farmers but um that's kind of like what we're also trying to organize to do too is like how what, what kind of st structures and systems can we be working to develop um so that we don't just leave a gap in the market right now we spend like at least two thousand dollars a week on local food over $15,000 total since the 10 weeks we've been doing this. And so like, that's a lot of money and that's awesome for the farmers. But like right now they're planting their, they're planting their crops to be harvested, like, you know, two months from now. And so if they're seeing a spike in the, like a spike in demand and they're going to plant for that spike in demand, but then is that demand? I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is that, will, it persist? Is that, will, that yeah, will that spike it, in demand persist? Yeah, exactly. It, that's a very interesting conundrum there. Um, it's good. It's, it's really fun to think that we might be, if, if you know, I suppose it's healthy to look for silver linings that we might be moving into a world where, uh, more sustainable agriculture and local locally sourced food is the go-to. Uh, all right. Well, we've been talking for about 25 minutes now, so I'm going to 
go ahead to, as you know, our ritual final questions. <laughs> um, but since I've already asked you those questions, maybe it's time for us to tweak them a little bit. First of all, I would normally ask if you had any advice to give to a, a pre-career self. Do you know what that would be? Um, but I guess you have both made shifts in your career at this point. So maybe it's a pretty relevant question right now. Hmm. Okay, wait, can you, like, what advice so, would you uh, give to someone? I'm like, you had, need, need it again. If you had any, if you had any advice for, for a younger self, hmm. do you know what it would be? Oh, gosh. Looking back right now. I feel like, I mean, I don't know. My Like, obviously, I'm in a weird position with my career and uh, what I'm doing in the world, like, with my life right now. Um, but I feel like there were definitely points in my like pre version of this when I was like really scared to make certain leaps and like to, to like do the things that, that were like harder or didn't have as much certainty and like every like risk I've taken, it's always paid off for the better. And I think cause that like that risk comes from like wanting, like from like, I'm not like a spiritual person necessarily, but definitely like, like from what I like what's truly inside of me and what I want. And so like, I guess I would just tell my younger self to like trust that instinct. And I mean, I have trusted it, which is like why I feel like that's like advice that I would give people like give my younger self now, but like, right. Like I quit my job. I have no income right now. Like I'm just like coasting, you know what I mean? Like it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a scary world to be living in, but at the same time I'm making a bigger impact than I would have ever have made if I had stayed like working at the museum or like stayed in my in a comfort comfortable place and I know this is the work that I'm meant to be doing so it's like I just feel like trust in that instinct and like that that you're resilient enough to to figure it out and and like whatever happens is going to be the thing that was meant to happen for you so I guess that's what I would just like you know to trust that younger version yeah good advice yeah um <laughs> I will just follow that by saying Hmm. Yeah, I think what has helped me the most and what I still gravitate towards is like, you know, talk to people who are doing things that you admire, you know, and just like, and don't be those people, if they're doing it the way that I would hope they would be doing it, like want to talk to you and share what they've learned and share like what work is meaningful to them. And, you know, obviously, like we all need to pay the bills and like put food on the table. So like budgeting and all of that, and and like doing things that make financial sense. But at the same time, like, we have a lot of work to do, like to make a better world. Basically, I'm just like, we have to be figuring out how our work can be meaningful if you're able to and like still still like have financial security to an extent, like just do the work that's meaningful and like collaborate with as many people as possible. And and I feel like this is just like something that I'm working on thinking about a lot is like is the unlearning that like individual that we're, we're so like trained, especially in the U S to just be very individual and concerned with our own success and like competitive, even if we're like trying to unlearn it, like it pops up all the time. And like when we're in cooperative structures or whatever it is. So just to keep, um, yeah, like thinking about that, reflecting on that and like admitting it when it's happening and then just like working through it. Cause I feel like we just have to be much more like we are seeing that now we need strong communities and cooperative structures. We need each other to, survive because we can't rely on a lot of these bigger institutions or like our government, you know, is not, it's not working for us right now. So just like that kind of thing is, is what I'm thinking about. All right. Very good. Also very good advice and observations. Um, Okay. So the next question normally is um, what's your favorite place to eat in new Orleans right now? That's a (laughs) slightly less um, relevant 
Oh, <laughs> all I right. Have an, I have an answer for that. So, like, I mean, I don't really know. What, obviously, like, we, it's very questionable what's safe out there. So, obviously, the food that you could get at your house is safest. But it is crawfish season in Louisiana, and I can't help myself mm. from, you know, getting spicy lips and grabbing, like, a Barks root beer. So, like, my favorite spot to get crawfish right now and, like, also shrimp po' boys because you need that to heal your soul, too, um, is Classy's on Banks. Um yeah, they're just like good, uh, good crawfish and good po' boys. So I feel like I get like at least crawfish once a week or po' boys once a week because yeah, you just need that right now. Also, Bevy's has is good. good. They've got a good, uh, a nice little outdoor outdoor situation too. So you could probably find a spot away yeah. from away from a bunch of coughing children or something like that. <laughs> um, well, I was going to ask also uh, in the spirit of your food storytelling, what's your favorite dish from growing up? go I have a quick answer to this because I, I always go to the same thing I think of um, my grandma and my mom would make chiles rellenos which is like stuffed poblano chilies and that smell of like charring the poblanos on the open gas like on the fire in our kitchen was just like oh it's my favorite smell and that dish mm. is just like so yeah it's like homey and like what my grandma taught us how to make so that's definitely brings back good memories I feel like mine my answer is more of like an experience and less of like a specific dish, but I just have like all these memories growing up of like waking up on Sunday mornings and like to WWOZ playing in the living room and I'd like waddle out of the kitchen, like I mean into the kitchen all sleepy eyed and my mom would always have like like Cajun potatoes, like bacon, eggs, grits and stuff on the stove. And like, I, she wouldn't be in the kitchen though. So I'd make a cup of coffee and waddle out to the backyard and sit on the stoop and she would just like talk to me about her garden all morning. And that was like, that just was like one of my favorite things to do um, and, and like food, one of my favorite food memories. Since I've taken the helm over here at How Do You Like Your Eggs, I have also added a third question to our sh- uh, show wrap up roster, um, which is what's what's your favorite story about maggots? Maggots? Oh, God. We have a good one oh, together. Yeah, we can, <laughs> I don't know if we want to share. Share it. Share it. You do okay, want to share so... it. <laughs> Me and Grace have been living together for almost a year, and when we, the first house we were living in together in New Orleans, we, it had, like, no grass backyard. We only had a concrete backyard, so we built, like, a composting system in the backyard, um, which really was, like, chicken wire, barrel situation, and we didn't really manage it properly, which is a common mistake amongst um, composters. But we just kind of would throw the vegetable scraps back there on, like, the hot concrete, like, area <laughs> <laughs> so we just toss it around sometimes we just there wasn't enough brown matter for sure like leaves and, yeah anyway. but, but it just was making those horrid smell and like we, we put on some there's this funny picture of us like with bandanas on and like like gloves and stuff because we were like we have to get rid of it and we went to go like get rid of it it smelled it smelled like a dead body honestly and there were just like the whole thing was just maggots pretty much and oh, we man. had to get rid of that it was just a funny it was just funny because we looked like goofy as hell and we were just like gotten ourselves into so much yeah it was like we just created a mess but you know we cleaned it up Right. <laughs> like, you, like you do, right? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you all so much for being on the show again. And thank you for the work that you're doing. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Asher. Nice and to talk to if you. anybody wants to yeah. know more about what we're doing, um, just check out our Facebook at Cattail Cooks um, and our Instagram, too. Uh, we're still looking for donations. 
um, to help support the efforts. Um, we're trying to fundraise for the next eight weeks so we can secure that for families. So if you or if you want to volunteer, just like check out our Facebook and um, Instagram and you can find out more information there. Great. Thank you. All hey. right, y'all. Well, have a good day of of um, serving your community. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Asher. Y'all have a great day, too. And thank you, dear listener. This show is still unsponsored, so you can thank me, Asher Griffith, for bringing this production to you along with the gracious support of our Patreon patrons. So thank you, patrons. Thank you also, as ever, to our brave service persons. I hope you had a happy Memorial Day. Direct all queries or gestures of gratitude to louder at cicadaradio.com. Okay, everybody, when they ask you, you better tell them you heard it right here on How Do You Like Your Eggs? This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.